Yes. No. Every single one we've done has been interesting. I would have to say the one where we rambled in the hotel room late at night. That got real weird. We would have thought it wasn't wasn't interesting, but according to the people who actually watched or listened to the show, it was interesting. Yeah, that's the weird part is, is based on the metrics, that's our most popular show. So they're all interesting. That's funny. So yes, it's going to be interesting. So it's never not interesting. No, but here but first we got to do this. Yeah. I know. The commentary and interviews of this podcast are for entertainment, information and conversation purposes only. The views and opinions expressed during this episode are those of the individual speakers and do not represent the views or opinions of any specific church, denomination, organization or third-party affiliate. I I, I listened. Because I don't think until now that I really knew what she was saying. Oh, really? I don't think I've ever listened to her before. Yeah, she's very loving. She's a very loving just, British person. I just ignored her. Yeah. I listened this time. Uh, and for those listening to this in three weeks after the time, uh, we want to first, our, our beautiful voiced British disclaimer announcement lady. Yes. We are so sorry. The loss of your queen. Uh, she's not real. The queen? She was real. The voice lady. No, she's a real person. I hired her. But I thought she was just like an automated something. No, nope, she's a real person. But is that a real accent? Is yes. she really British? Yes. Are you sure? She is. Like she still lives in she the United has, Kingdom? She has. I don't know if she still lives in the United Kingdom. I mean, maybe she's renounced her citizenship. You lived in Mexico when you were still American. But maybe she renounced her citizenship and she's not British anymore. And well, she's now American. Hey, if you're listening out there, send us an email as okay. we get started. Maybe, maybe she's a New Zealander. Maybe we're assuming she has a British accent, and it's actually a New Zealand accent, and we're being very, very racist right now. It could be. Just saying. 100% possible. Hey, everybody. Welcome. We're so excited <laughs> you're here as we talk about our disclaimer lady, and we appreciate her. And yeah. I didn't even know you were real, so congratulations on being a real person. Yeah. Kamar didn't even know you were a real person. Yeah. That's okay, because you are very real. Uh, you if, are real to us. If you say so. I mean, I'm not going to say to us. She's real to you, and I agree with you on her reality. I spent 15 whole dollars for her to make that. Does it make her real? It was real. That guy in that prince in Africa, he got a lot of money. He wasn't real. The guy from the email chain? Yeah. He wasn't real. <laughs> he wasn't real. He got a lot of money. I don't know. I just got an email. I got a text message from a lady yesterday uh-huh. telling me that if I sent her all my information, she'd give me part of her $7 million lottery win because she just doesn't need that much money. And I sent it to her. I'm just, I'm going to go for it. Uh, you should. Take my chance. You should. Take my chance. I think you should do that. Um, I'm kidding. I'm not sending it to her. <laughs> I, it, I, I'm, I, I support you, John. Uh, you you support me in financial bankruptcy. Uh, you said she's real, so I'm going to just trust you on this. I, the the I, British lady is what, real. What sort of friend would I be if I denied you and, and didn't believe you when you told me that somebody that you valued was real to you. This is coming back to Clay again. Why, what sort of See, friend would I be? This has to do with Clay right I, now. I, I, you, are, you, are real. Not, you are not getting me to admit. I'm holding my Dr. Ken moment right now. I, I, I am just, Clay's not real. I didn't mention him. I, I simply said, that. what oh, sort saw, of friend would I be? I saw your face. I saw the brain turning. What sort of friend I'm would I be? Long what enough. sort of friend yep, does that? I'm just, I'm just saying. What sort of friend? You you said the British would, lady isn't real. So Clay's no, real. I no, I didn't. I said she must be real. You said she's real. Y'all y'all go back and listen right now. So we're gonna stop talking. We're gonna yeah. stop fighting right now. Yeah. About we're gonna stop fighting. I'm, about I'm a this. supportive friend who believes you. So I, I'm just saying Clay's photoshopped. In fact, there's gonna be a T-shirt someday that's gonna I, say Clay's photoshopped. I didn't mention him. You did. I know, but that's where you were going. No, that's where you go. It's okay. No. It's okay. So we're gonna calm down today. 
and we're gonna we're gonna think about things. What are we thinking about? Had some very very serious things. Okay. And um, we've had some more serious topics. Last week at the brewery, had a great time uh, talking with a lot of different hosts. Had different questions come up. Uh-huh. Uh, stay tuned. Coming up very soon, we're going back. Yeah. We're recording there again next week. Yep. Uh, but today we're doing a little something, a little something, something different. So you say. Uh, we are. Why are Christians leaving public schools? They are? We are. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. There Are they not? I'm a Christian. I'm in a public okay. school. Okay. Then how come, think about the metrics. Uh-huh. All right. You were a Christian. Are you I still the, am. Are you the atypical? I, I still am a Christian. I know you you said you were. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I still am a Christian. We're done. Podcast is over. This is our <laughs> shortest episode ever. Four minutes and 57 seconds. I win. Kamar wins. We're done. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Have a great day. We're done. See you guys. All right. See you guys next time. Just kidding. Oh, man. I thought I won too. But <laughs> no, but if you look at the rise of homeschool students okay. in Christian organizations, okay, the rise of Christian education in like Christian private schools and things like that. Okay. The numbers are up. Okay. The church in droves. If you go to most large scale churches in our community, at least. Okay. In communities we've seen, they have left public schools. Okay. Why is that? Why has Americans, have Ameri- has America given up on public school? So I. You are a public school teacher. Disagree with your identification of when the trend started. Okay. Because I would say it didn't start recently. Okay. I would say that Christians... Oh, I'm, not, I'm not saying recent. I'm saying within the last 50 years. 50? 50 years. Is Since about 60. Well, yeah, in the early 60s, that's when it started because of desegregation. Okay. Yeah, that's that's why. Why, why do we not talk about it that way, though? I mean, because we like to let Bruno live in the walls. But Bruno, Bruno has his own bed. That's yeah. the thing. That, yeah, and, you think about and it, the like, minority kids have their own schools. They're like, called public. I know. <laughs> I know. But here's the thing is, like, you challenged me yeah. six months ago now. Yeah. Not even six months. Six months ago or so to, if you want to change your community, mm-hmm. get in the public schools. So I said, sure, why not? Yeah. What's the worst that could happen? You could die. I could die, but I could also die crossing the street. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, what's the worst that could happen? I actually like, told a student that today. Yeah. He was like, "Would you?" I was like, "Would you climb my, climb at my, Mount Everest?" We watched a video about Everest and answered some questions, things like that. He's like, "No, I would not climb. I, would, I could die." It's like you could die crossing the street. Yes, you could. So, but here's the thing: is we have put such a focus since the sixties, and I 100% agree with you. If you want a great book that kind of outlines this a little bit. Not necessarily on just the desegregation, but also on so much aspects of what is happening. Check out the book, Jesus and John Wayne, because this is actually several chapters of that, of the um, the movement of Christianity yeah. and, and how where it's begun, of where we are today as a culture and where we came from. Yeah. But my question is, is you said desegregation. Yeah. And I agree with you. Why else? It's, where are the black churches? That's what I'm saying. You don't find that's not a that's not a, a thing in the minority community necessarily. Well, public schools is of leaving the public schools. Okay, it's only within the white church community that that's a, a big deal because that's kind of 
the, the, the rise of the Protestant private school mm-hmm. was a response to try and not have to desegregate. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. They could pick and choose who went to school. But all along, minorities, if they want to go to private school, Catholic schools. But here's the question about that in the sense of that is, though, is why then – why has the community turned their back on public schools? Which community? For sure, the majority of community members, like if we have, if you talk about public schools in pretty much any community, uh-huh. unless they're winning state championships in some sport that everybody goes and sits in their tailgate on and watches or whatever, they don't talk positive about their public schools. So again, I, I'm you, not, I'm not lying. You are, you're, I'm what? Your, your data is very isolated. No, it's not. So this is a southern thing, sure. No, it's not. Not out out, out west. It wasn't like that at In all. In Ohio, it was that way. In Ohio, it was actually worse. In Ohio, the public city schools mm-hmm. literally were the worst schools in the community. Had the lowest the lowest standards, the lowest everything. And then companies came in and started mm-hmm. what are called charter schools. Yeah, like LeBron James has a very famous. But those aren't this. Those aren't the same type of schools you're you're talking about because the charter schools are still public schools. Yes, but you have to apply to get in. But it's still a public school. But you can be turned down. But it's still a public school. But you can be turned down. Yeah. But, but then it's not. It's not. That the definition of a public school is anybody, like the schools we work in, mm-hmm. anybody can go to it. No. So, again, that's, that's, a, that's a this world defines public school that way. Public school is publicly funded education. Okay. So a charter school is still a public school. It's just not the same model that you might be but they're, used to. They're privately, they're privately funded, private and public funded. Like, no, and the majority of them don't get money from. In Ohio, we were at the majority of those schools did not make money from the community. So this is so I'm thinking. So the educational issue in this country is very much so a state by state, region by region yeah, kind sure. of thing. And so what you're describing was not my experience at all out west. Okay, what is your experience here? Well, again, my experience here is depends on what ethnicity and what okay. demographic I'm talking to. How okay. much money do you make? What kind of church do you go to? Do you go to church? What color is your skin? Where are you from originally? And that will change how you talk about the schools, how you feel about the schools. Um, it's not. So if, like, for example, at my school, a lot of us, our kids go to the school, too. Uh-huh. So all those kids and their parents and their families have positive things to say about the educational system and the schools. Because their family is so a part of it. That has not been my experience with te- with parents. That's see, that's what I'm saying. Yours. So I think this is one of those things where no, it's no, not. A, I, I'm talking about the. I, I'm talking about the same demographic you're talking about. Yeah. Because I, I go to a lot of sporting events. I talk to a lot of parents. Um, in fact, some of the things that said about my school that I work at, which I absolutely love my job. I love our admins. I've talked yeah. about it. I, I praise them, and I'm. I'm wearing a, a tiger plaid Hawaiian shirt right now. I like my school so much. But the problem is, is the perspective of what you're saying of that demographic that you say support the schools, mm-hmm. from my experience, they're harder on the schools than the white community was. Because the white community, they don't really care about the school. They just don't want to pay more money. So that's what I'm saying. It's I'm thinking so... I don't think it's as blanket and uniform as as your statement was. I would say that you have certain kinds of people are indeed leaving the public school public school system for, for desegregation, but issues. 
or segregation. It's the really. same sort of people who have been leaving public school all along. And so you might have a family that a generation ago existed in a different place demographically than they do now. Sure. And so that's why now the family is public education, but before they didn't. Or now they exist in a different way theologically, where before they didn't come from such a staunchly conservative, quote unquote, church background. So they were public school then. But now they are more conservative, quote unquote, in their theology. So now they leave. And, and what you're finding is that you have people who are migrating and they're now entering into the ideology that always was not in it before. Okay. But I don't think it's because my, again, my experience has not been, oh man, everybody's leaving. It's been, well, it's the same people who always been leaving are leaving. And there you go. It's the same. So that's not what my experience has been. And so, yeah, I think we have different experiences. Because what I'm experiencing with people leaving has been um, people leaving over different aspects of, um, in all honesty, mm-hmm. COVID, a lot of people left because of COVID because of the, the having going to do digital, right? right? Their kid couldn't handle digital, which made me laugh because being homeschool parents for so long in our lives, yeah. if you can't help your kid learn how to learn on a computer, how are you expecting them to teach them on their educate, like their full and, and education? The, so a lot of those people notice their kids are back in school. Um, there's still a lot that are not. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of those people, their kids are back in school and the people who aren't, they still check most of those boxes of the people who were already leaving schools to begin with. So, and so they fit the the description of who I would expect to be either homeschooling or private schooling anyways, because of their demographic makeup of theology type of church you attend, amount of education, uh, amount of money you make slash skin color, all those things. They check those boxes. They may not check all the boxes, but they check enough of the boxes where it's like, all right, you still fit the trend. You're, you're, not, a, you're not a new thing. It's not like all of a sudden I have a bunch of Spanish-speaking immigrants who are homeschooling their kids. No. Yeah, we or, actually, I've, I've seen a trend in that. No. I've seen more. In the homeschool group in the area, there's been a trend of more Hispanic families coming in. Spanish-speaking is in like they are still, they do not speak English at all? They're bilingual. Oh, well, then they're still not the Spanish-speaking Bilingual is not. Bi- their kids are bilingual. Both their parent, one of their parents will speak only Spanish. Speak only Spanish. The one I, the two families I've met, mm-hmm. one of the parents speaks only Spanish. What did the What does the parent who works do for a living? The parent who works. Yeah. What did he do? I don't know what he. I don't remember what he did. I bet you it's something that would qualify them as being either upper lower class or at least at least upper lower class, and Hispanic people within the second generation. They already identify as white Hispanic. Within the second generation, they can be white, not Hispanic, once they're no longer speaking enough Spanish. And so they still don't completely, they're not a complete outlier. Okay, so the, the, okay, I'll I'll give you that one. Yeah, it's like, it's, that's what I'm saying. When you start to tear it apart, you start to realize, like, all right. And that's something that, so, and when I did, um, one of the classes that I take, like, three times because of degrees uh, is biostats. Okay. And one of the reasons why it is that I like taking that class, and I'm a big proponent of biostats for people to take, is because people don't realize that, Studies don't say what they think they say. Sure. And, they, and, and seeing trends and seeing how they actually, the, how the patterns actually lie, it's far different than a lot of people realize. Like COVID was completely predicted for decades. Yeah. Which is not, why when people yeah. are like, why are the doctors doing this? Well, because we've, I learned about this years ago. Like we knew exactly what to do. This didn't catch anybody off guard. Um, it felt like it to the layperson. But biostats-wise, everything made perfect sense. Not a single thing of how COVID went down was strange. Everything followed, like, perfectly to trends and predictions. Yeah, um, I, would, I would say I agree with you 100%. The trends of how the COVID pandemic, like, the actual pandemic yeah. itself 
how that took place, uh-huh. like how it came in and how it's it's dwindled out and still here, but dwindled out. Yeah, that didn't catch him out of guard. I think the thing that did catch people off guard, and I want to say this is the reaction of the metal community. I think caught people off guard. I don't know why. Again, that was still. I don't, I I'm not. I'm not. And that's and so these are. So I agree I, with you 100 percent in I, the I, stats, but based on the stats, we knew you like as a doctor. You yeah. said. As a doctor, you saw you could see this coming. Yeah. Like, this wasn't new. You could see if there's something spiked, what mm-hmm. it was going to do. That's that's the same thing the Spanish flu yeah. did. That's the same thing the bubonic plague did. It's yeah. so many different. It's historically data. There's data to yeah. show this is what happens. But the reaction of our medical community and our government did not handle that the way. No, so the the like I would I never had issues too much with how the national medical response was because again it would still it fit it fit the trend. I mean it all made perfect sense. And I'm saying that to say that that's an example of something people look at they're like, this is extreme and weird. And oh, it's like, it and, and it's like, it makes perfect sense when you understand what the, all the data points mean. I, I really feel um, like every hundred years we have some kind of catastrophic event like Corona mm-hmm. or black death. It's going to be, well, based on before, yes, act, be, before, yes, it's going to be, it's going to be much more rapid for the next so? hundred years. Why? Because historically bigger picture, you go back thousands of years and you find that we're now entering that point in time okay. in the trend. Um, but so again, with this idea of education, the actual trend pattern, what you find is that, okay, it's not a, a sudden increase at all. It's the same sort of people that have been doing it all along. Mm-hmm. It's just that there are people moving. It's kind of like what happened with the Irish immigrants to a large degree. Like my wife and I were talking about this, um, of the whole issue of, of, you know, the identity of white Americans and ethnicity and all this stuff. Yeah. And, 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 and just how one of the books, I can't remember which one I was, I, I was listening to, um, the book was focused on the issues of particularly minorities, but they actually had like two chapters that talked about the cost on white people of the prejudice in this, in this country. Sure. Um, and one of the things talked about was how white people have to give up their ethnic identity. Essentially. They can't be German Americans. They have to be white Americans. Yeah. And, and they lose that. And we were talking about that. And I was telling her how essentially you have a small group of Irish Americans in Boston area who are like, no, we're Irish. But aside from them, largely, White people said, okay, I'm willing to give up. And I, and I used her grandfather example. Her grandfather spoke German when he went off to, to kindergarten because his family had, had that recently immigrated. Yeah. And by and large, your average white people, when they come to America, they say, I'm willing to give up my ethnicity to be white. That being white is worth more than having an ethnic identity Yeah, we're not, as far as what it gets me in this country. Yeah, we're, we're um, not allowed to, and I, I say this, we're, we are not allowed to take pride so much in our ethnic. Where we come from. No, that's what I'm saying is that what it actually is, is that your ancestors voluntarily said, I would much rather be white than have my ethnic identity because I get more for it. I don't think it was our ancestors so much as my generation and the generation before my generation. No, it it probably, because your family's been in America for more than three generations, right? No, I I understand that. But like my great grandfather Mm -hmm. took pride in his heritage. So he would tell people, I'm an Irish American, I'm yeah. this or that. That generation, bef- the generation before the boomers, they still called themselves Irish, Scottish, wherever they came from. Um, even if you read um, historical documents from that time period, you'll hear people talking like, I was talking to this this big Irish and they'll have some kind of slur towards yeah. them, right? So even though it's a slur towards those people, or towards that the Scottish guy or whatever or whatever. It's still that acknowledging that, but it's no longer that anymore. Yeah, but we, dude, dude, I say answers. Your grandparents, you're talking about 100 years ago, man. No, it wasn't. We're old enough now 
being in our 40s, well, I'm almost 40, then we talk about our parents and the generation before our parents. Yeah, I'm, t- I'm talking about my generation and my parents' generation. My parents yeah. are the generation that really started saying, stop calling themselves by that. My grandparents' generation mm-hmm. still call themselves by that. Okay, I see what you're saying. See what now. I'm saying? Yeah. In the 60s and 70s and 80s, because I'm an 80s kid. Yeah. I was born in the 80s. Um, that's when we stopped saying that. And it, it be, I, I, so I, I'm not saying it's it's on my grandparents coming over and that kind of thing. Yeah. We were already here deciding, okay, we're just going to be white. And be, even because even, it was because it was more useful than being because the at the end of the day, there was more benefit to be had in being white than maintaining German identity. Sure. Um, and so within that within that context, that's what you're seeing with this whole homeschooling, private schooling thing again, essentially, is you have a group of individual people, they are moving into a different station in life. And they are saying, I would much rather be in this social in-group than the group that I was from. Because to be in this social in-group gets me benefits that I want to have for me and my children. I will say this thinking, and I'm not going to, disagree 100% with you there. I understand what you're saying, but the issue I am seeing a lot with homeschoolers are the ones who are pulling out their kids to homeschool are the lower class. Not like upper lower class, but mm-hmm. lower lower class. What church do they go to? Uh, they go to our, this family goes to RH, I know. I'm saying, do they go to a church that would identify itself as having conservative Christian values? Of being strongly traditional in being Bible, Bible-led, Bible-teaching, Bible-preaching, the Word of God is the foundation of our lives kind of churches. I would think so. Then they still aren't new. They still fit the, they still fit the description. Why is that? Then why? Okay, then let's ask. <laughs> because, this. again, go back to the, the beginning of the private schools. That was, you go back to, you know, especially we'll just call Southern Baptists because they're one of the great examples of that. It's, it's Southern Baptists. What, what, what is their standing? Yeah. And so that, again, so they still are fitting with that description of, okay, we may still be a lower class family, but we're now in this social end group. We want to get the privileges of being the social end group. What does this social end group do? Oh, we homeschool. I guess we're homeschooling too. Well, let me ask you a question then. Where's the mission field for our kids? For my kids, they go to public school. Okay, as a we were talking about this as a whole. Yeah, you were you're talking <laughs> literal, Kamar. Don't literal Kamar it. You ask me to come here and be me. I and know. Then you I tell s- me to stop being me. No, I'm so confused. I'm, I'm asking you as a group. We just mm-hmm. talked about this. You just said, what kind of church do you go to? Describe me? your church without telling the name. Um, I would say I go to a church where people think of themselves as being in a church that says, oh, it's all standing on the Bible alone. But what they don't realize is that the heart and vision behind the church is to be a church that actually goes beyond all of those discrediting wall-building claims. And they just haven't realized it yet. Okay, so let me ask you a question then. Well, at least some of them haven't realized it yet. With that being said, would you consider your church that you attend? Mm Mm-hmm in that same mindset of the churches of the people we just discussed that are leaving public school? Some of them, yes. Some of them, no. Okay. So some of them, some, some, yes, some, no. Okay. I would I, say even, even up to the church leadership, some of them, yes, some of them, no. Okay. Partly so, because I'm in the church leadership too, but even with, even take me out of the picture, some, yes, some, no, just okay. across the board. 
And that's one of the things where it's they're in a they're in a weird flux point right now as a as a congregation. Sure, I understand. Where if you go back in time, say four years, it wouldn't have been that. Okay. Go back in time ten years, even go back in time two years. But where they are now as a church is they are in flux, and it's some yes, some no. It's really it's not a divided church in the sense that people are divided against each other, but it is divided in the sense that there's a whole lot of different um, people being represented. Okay. So let me ask you a question, and this is not a question for Kamar or Kamar's kids. This is a question for people in the church who are leaving the churches that are the ones we described, mm-hmm. that are leaving public schools for homeschool or private school, right? What is the mission field of their kids? Yeah, I, I, and, and that's something that I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Because I will say that Laura and I, we talked about homeschooling earlier on, and we did mainly because... Uh, she couldn't handle the kids being ridiculous all day long. And I don't say that as a bad thing. I say that as a good thing that, because it was something that was a dream of ours. When we said we were getting married, we were like, oh, we're going to homeschool our kids. We yeah, had this sure. they had this vision because I did come from that extremely conservative background as far as theology and biblical upbringing. It's like, I'm going to be the man and she's going to stay home with the kids. And then when we finally had that moment where it was possible, before then we, we had to do public school, all those things, because we didn't have the space, our home in California, we didn't have the resources. Yeah. We moved to Kentucky. Our first year in Kentucky, we finally had the ability to do that. And we tried it. And my wife came and said, I, I can't, the kids just, it doesn't work for us. And we were at an impasse. And, and I admit, I felt like I was like, no, we're going to hold our ground on this because this is what we're supposed to do. But I realized the right thing was to say, you know what, I'm going to listen to my wife and say, you know what, fine, the kids go back to public school. And so they did. And that was why we made that shift for our family. Sure. We realized that just our kids, we could have made it work. We could have grit it, bear it, force through it, and it would have worked, and our kids would have been just fine otherwise. Yeah, but, but we didn't. Um, and for me, long-term-wise, it actually fits more with how we are as a family. Um, so I did private school in the beginning portion, portion of my life because my mom said I needed a, a certain level foundation um, so that I could have the education I needed because of my intelligence and, and what I can do. Um, that was that was me. But then by the time I got to, what was it, fourth grade, my mom moved me over to, to public school because okay. she said, you need to be able to get along with the real people in the world. The world is not like private school, Kamar. The world's more like public school. If you're going to make it in this world, you got to be able to make it in public school. Okay. And so my mom moved me over to public school. And she always fought for me to be in the advanced classes, things like that. But it was the idea was, how are you going to be able to make it in the world as it is if you never learn how to live in the world as it is? Okay. And so that was something that I just kind of grew up with. Laura grew up in public school. That was her life. And so for us, where we're at now, fast forward to now, it makes sense for our family. Could we theoretically homeschool? Yes, we could. Could we put our kids to private school? We definitely could. One, because of me as a pastor, I can get scholarships for local places. My kids are smart enough. I'm sure we could, we could private school our kids. We could. But at the end of the day, I'm convinced that their level of education has less to do, and I've seen this, has less to do with what sort of school they're in and more to do with sort of home life they have. Sure. And so check that box. My kids are good on that one. And long term, my bigger concern is not so much that my kids get the most challenging education in K through 12, but that they are set up as much as possible for success for the rest of their life. Sure. And so to me, again, that's public school. And then bring in the missional component of it that you're talking about. Okay. Then at the same time, too, if I want to set them up for success in the world to be able to interact with the world, then I should have them have chances and abilities and, and examples of interacting with the world while still at my house where it's, I, I can kind of keep them safer. 
Sure. Um, that's what we're wrestling right now. So Naraya has a friend, has a couple of friends that she talks with on her phone. Um, one of which my wife and I were like, man, that guy, he is not good news. Um, and just the other night we were sitting there, we were watching something and I'm like, Laura or Naraya, who are you texting? She said, she's texting that kid. I'm like, and I'm like, I thought you guys, I thought you stopped talking to that kid. Cause he's always, you know, coming out of left field and doing, saying weird things, this and that. And she was just like, quiet. I'm like, and I, and I started thinking, I'm like, but it's like Laura and I said, these are the sort of people that we do want her to engage with. Okay. We don't want them to negatively affect her, but how could she ever positively affect him if she can't engage with him? Sure. Left it at that. No more conversation for me about it because it's like, you know what? This is, this is the mission. Um, and so to me, mission field for our kids. Yeah, very much so. If you're not, if they're not engaging the world, how are they going to engage the world? Well, that's the funny thing. You just you just pasteurized that whole thing right there. It was great because I, I asked you a question, you turned into the Kamar answer. Because what is the mission field though of those parents who've pulled their kids out of public school? You'd have to ask them that because I'm but not going to sit here and assume I'm, there I'm, isn't one. I'm, I'm but I'm I'm asking you as someone who has seen from your experience, yeah. from what you see, because you see a lot of things. Mm -hmm. You see a lot of people. You experience a lot of things. Yeah. You see a lot of things in community. What is your opinion? Of what that mission field looks like. My opinion is that I don't know because I'm not going to sit there and, and limit them and say there is none for their kids because I don't know. Sure. I really, I, I have no idea. Okay. I can't, I don't, I can't begin to imagine what that looks I mean, it might be a very rich and fulfilling one. For all I know, their kids are out there doing all kinds of things because they're free to do more stuff in the community because of their, I, I don't know. I don't know what that would look like for a homeschool person. You should tell us, John. Oh, I am. I, mean, I just wanted to hear your opinion. Because I have no idea. I wanted your opinion because you are a very wise person. Yeah, but I am also, because I, I yeah. read Proverbs occasionally, I'm wise enough to know that when you don't know something, say I don't know. Yeah, I understand that too. But also when the idea is like, sometimes the opinion mm -hmm. is what people want to hear. Yeah, but I, I, I so, don't know. I understand. Like, it's, it's something, so Laura gets upset with me about all kinds of things, okay? Because I have this ability to just decide to learn something. Um, like, for example, I think I was around middle school or something like that, when I learned about yawning being something that people do when they hear the word and see other people doing it. And I decided like middle school, I'm, that's not going to be me anymore. And so I don't, um, I decided in my brain, I'm not going to be influenced like that. So I don't. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's how I am. And so that's kind of, that's me. Uh, and so with things like that, when I see a limit, I say, you know what, this is something that's outside my scope of being able to give a good sound judgment on. I say, you know what? I don't know. And I leave the line there. And when sometimes my students will, will be like, well, Mr. Roche, you know so many things. How come you don't know? And I say, exactly. If somebody who knows as much as I do is willing to say I don't know, then why are you challenging me on this? I know so much. Why do I have to know everything? <laughs> so my response is this. Yes, because you should know. I mean, this oh, is I'm your telling experience. You. Yeah. I'm telling you. I'm telling you right now. My response is this. We've failed our kids. I'm sorry. I, no, it's fine. You haven't failed your kids. You put your kids in public oh, school. Oh, I failed them in plenty of ways. Uh, <laughs> this is one area so where I might not have failed my as, children. <laughs> as parents of homeschoolers, we have taken them out for protection. Mm -hmm. You said it yourself. You like your kids to be experienced in the world, but you want them to be protected. The yeah. issue is, is a homeschool parent is we have a lot of times taken our kids out of public school and we have decided to protect them mm -hmm. from other people being made fun of and things like that. Yeah. Well, the issue is, is that's real life. Yeah. Um, we have been taking my daughter with us to sporting events. Okay. Um, because 
She likes sports. She likes to watch things. She likes to see people. And the issue is, is she is seeing kids her age interacting and doing things that mm-hmm. kids her age do. Not any different than what she normally does. But yeah. the difference is, is how they interact with each other. Yeah. And we have failed her in the sense of when you have only a small population of people to interact with. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people homeschool successfully and do a lot of great things and their kids grow up to be amazing. But the problem is, is when you have such few people to interact with, when they go to college or they leave or do something else, they don't know how to compensate. I'll say another another leg on that. Okay, so this is something that Laura and I used to do. We're not we're not foster parents now, and that's a whole other story that maybe one day we can say without getting sued or something like that because of the traumatic reasons behind why we're no longer foster parents. Um, but when we were foster parents, that was something that a lot of times that same view came against us. Yeah, and they said, well. Why are you going to risk your home like that? Why are you going to put your kids at risk like that? And we saw it as, as truly a calling. Sure. It was a calling on our life. It was something that my wife had always wanted to do. She dreamt of doing it since she was a little kid. It was a calling on our life. And it wasn't just a calling on us. It was a calling on us as a family. And we would tell our kids that this isn't just about your mother and father being foster parents. It's about us being a foster family. Yes. It's about you essentially living out the gospel for these kids who don't have that home. Um, and so in that sense, you talk about, you know, where's the mission field? I have encountered some people who homeschool their biological children, but also foster parent. And so the foster kids can't be homeschooled. That's true. But that's an example then of still you have a mission field for your family, even though you're homeschooling, because you're bringing it into the world, as it were, and you're, and you're showing the kids that missional life. So it's not that I want to just make sure. Yeah. It's not that there's no path, um, but it's not. And it's also not just a homeschool thing. And this is true of so many things. No, I agree with you 100%. Of, of we, we run this risk of saying, but who's going to keep my kids safe? And like I said, it, it, us not being foster parents was a traumatic end to that story for us. A painful end that continues to hurt us to this day. My wife even more so than me sometimes. It's the reality of it. But at the end of the day, we don't regret that choice that we made because our choice was we love Jesus, we trust God, and we want to show our children that to love him and serve him means sometimes you risk insecurity in this world because you love him and serve him. Well, and I think that is the problem we are facing right now as as Christian homeschool parents and private school parents. Mm-hmm. I have, uh, being a youth pastor and doing things for a long time, I've built a lot with youth in a lot of different places and a lot of different private schools, a lot of different, a lot of different churches. And the one thing I've heard over and over again from kids I've gotten close to that I reach out to and I talk to that have left the faith, Mm -hmm. they've left the faith because the faith they were, I will even say force fed, wasn't genuine. Yeah. It was a religious, it was a a religious step they had to do each week. Yeah. And it can be easier to do that if your world is so much smaller. Yeah. Um, and, and so, I mean, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I, I want to give you some encouragement and hope that maybe you haven't failed your kids as much as you think. Um, oh, uh, no, I failed my kids completely. But maybe, okay. maybe you haven't failed them as much as you think. Oh, no. Be, okay. Because you have still exposed them to some other people. It's not like you were homeschoolers who were in a cult where it was just your house and that was their entire world. There's more to their world than just your household. You heard it here first. Kamara said homeschoolers are cults. No, I didn't. I you said, did. I said, it's you not said. like you were homeschoolers and in a cult. No, that's not what you said. You, you saying. had a world larger than just no, your and, home. No, it's, it's, and a lot of homeschoolers do that where they get yeah, together. Yeah. And, and so I, I, I so I want to just encourage you. And if anybody's listening and they feel that way, like feel encouraged and saying that 
you might not have failed them as much as you think because you have now if you have done that whole homeschool in a cult situation where actually the only thing your kids experience is just your home that might be a problem maybe it's not i don't know i mean like maybe you're missionaries out in iran somewhere and you're like there's a reason why kamar okay that, that makes some sense um but odds are if you live in america you don't need to live like that well and that the thing for me is this in, in the sense of the homeschooling parents because like i said i'm a homeschool parent mm -hmm. we still homeschool i teach public high school right now and i still homeschool my kids my wife teaches public high school and we still homeschool because we've talked to our kids about this when we took these new positions i said i'm 100 percent into the public schools but we have raised you in my daughter's case for six, for her entire life as being or almost from majority of her life being a, a homeschooler you have two years of high school left or two and a half years of high school left. What do you want to do? Because I'm not going to force you to go be that new kid in a school where you don't know anybody because mm -hmm. she would not know anybody here because none of these kids are homeschooled. It's not a big deal. You might think you, I think maybe now you see that, that there's no I, I, at our school. New kids show up about once a month. Uh, we, we have the same here. We have kids show up all the time, but the issue is, is in her mind, it's a big deal. Yeah. It's not a big deal to us as parents. And it's not a big deal to you as a teacher, but to a child, it's traumatic. Until you're no longer the new kid because next week another new kid shows up and now it's less traumatic. I, and then in three months, you're no longer a new kid at all. And you realize, wow, that trauma was short-lived. Have you been the new kid in the middle of the school year? Yeah. How many times? Once. Once. Okay. Being a military kid, four different times. It's traumatic every single time. Yeah. It is traumatic every single time. Because you have to make new friends. You have to figure out who to talk to, who to hang out with. Yeah. You have to figure out even who to sit with on the bus. And that trauma, and it destroyed you? Oh, no. It, it, it made you? It, it gave me anxiety attacks. And? And what? I mean, you're telling me there's not a single positive thing that came from any of your traumatic experiences. In high school? Yeah. Or in life the, in general. In those transitions? Yeah. I can honestly say those transitions made probably four years of my life almost suicidal. So you need to revisit your trauma and find the reason why God allowed it. Because as Christians, well, I didn't know God then. I'm, so. I'm saying now <laughs> as, as a man who knows God sure. now, every trauma that God allowed in your life was put there for his oh, glory. I, I don't need to read that. I already know. Why so, I, so I if, already know that so if now in the present, that trauma has not resulted in something now that makes you a better servant of Christ, then lesson still needs to be learned. Oh no, no. Every trauma has a point. I understand that. Yeah. I'm not disagreeing with that. And I know why I was put through that trauma. And yeah. the trauma I put through is the same thing you told me that one of the things I love, I fight for the underdog. So then it did do something good for you. It did. But those four years of my life were miserable. But in the end, that trauma was good for you. I'm not talking about the end. I was talking about I am daughter. because that is the thing that we have to keep in mind as parents is that sometimes we get so lost in the present trauma, we forget that the end is the end. And so if I'm going to sit here and I'm going to fight so hard, goes back to your thing. You're sure. talking about the, 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 the tendency that apparently, as you're saying, the homeschoolers tend to fall into is like, no, no, but I, I want to avoid the trauma now. Yes, but if I keep avoiding all that trauma now, it's kind of like, you know, what is it? Finding Nemo. If nothing ever happens, then nothing ever happens. If, if I'm constantly so, trying to avoid the possibility of my kid getting a scar, no, no, then not, they'll I'm never, not, they'll I'm never not, get there. I'm not trying to avoid the kid getting a scar. And the reason I say that is that that's why we left it up there. We're still discussing yeah. our other children. The issue is, is, is the amount of scarring I received in those four years mm -hmm. still affects me to even how I walk around high school today. 
Yeah. As even as an adult. But the thing is, is she doesn't have four years left. Yeah. She has a year and a half or two years in a public school. Uh-huh. And then she's in college. Right. So my thing is, is I left that up to her decision. Okay. She's going to public events. She's seeing kids. She's meeting our kids when we go places. She's meeting my, my coworkers when we go places. She's getting involved in that aspect and seeing it. And we're still letting mm-hmm. her decide. But I'm leaving that up to her. Our two youngest who are still in school, we're discussing that heavily as ourselves. Okay. It's not up to them. That's up. But with her being an, almost an adult, she's 16 years old. She'll be 18 in two years. She's almost an adult. Right. Yeah. So we are leaving that up to her. And I'm not, uh, scarring is a thing that happens with all kids. Well, yeah. I mean, scarring is a thing that happens with every decision you have. You talked about being a foster parent. Mm-hmm. There are scars from your your kids have faced from yeah. being foster parents. And they're better for it. They are better for it. And that's something that, that it won't always feel that way. But And, and so I, I say that too because, so we have, we have this different approach. And part of it is because of my wife's scars. So her parents allowed her to decide how academically challenging high school was allowed to be for her. Okay. And so there were, she did not take honors courses, things like that, even though she could have. And still to this day, when she talks about that, how like she didn't do those things because her parents didn't make her. Okay. And so one of the things that we bring into that is that we, we reserve the right to say, you know what, you may be 17, but we're going to make this decision for you because 20 years from now, you're going to wish you had decided this okay. and not that. And, and sometimes it's, it might, I mean, granted, okay, our oldest isn't, well, actually, we did have a 17-year-old plenty of times, but biological children in the home right now are not 17. Manazi's 15, given to turn 16 in a few more months. Um, but it's gotten to the point now where also he's kind of used to it, is that you've got all this freedom, all this freedom to choose. But it's sometimes if we sit there and we say, okay, you're avoiding doing this thing because it's going to hurt you. But as your parents, we can see that this is the sort of pain you need because of where you're trying to go. One a simple example. This is nowhere near traumatic at all. This is completely non-traumatic. Okay. But it's a constant thing with my son. Like me, I mean, for you guys not knowing, so it's September. Um, it's not cold in this room, and I have on a jacket. Yes, it's actually hot in here. It's to you. It's it's hot in here. It's not cold. Our air has been off for two. Hours. I'm not going to say it's hot, but it's not cold. It's hot. So my son, like me, will tend to wear jackets. Um, in situations that many would call hot, and he and I would simply say is not cold. But because I know he wants to move to Iceland one day, there are plenty of times when he walks in a room, and even I have on a jacket, and I'm like, you know what, son? You don't need a jacket on right now. Take your jacket off. And he's like, oh. and I'm like, you want to move to Iceland? You better get used to being cold. Well, they have jackets there. Yes, they do. But you better get used to being cold. And, and it's a thing that we do that it's not a big deal. It's not scarring him, but it's trying to embed in him this idea that says, it's not always about me being comfortable right now. Sometimes it's about me being uncomfortable right now because of where I'm trying to go tomorrow. Okay. Um, and, and that's a, again, that's a, that's a parenting technique that we have as, as my wife and I, because we look at our own mistakes and we say, how many times did we not do what we should have done in the name of comfort? How many times did our parents let us not do the thing we should have done in the name of comfort? For her, it's more often than mine. My parents were, I'm not going to say mean. My parents were just, no. They're, they were goal-oriented. They were very goal-oriented. And they said, this is where you're going. This is how you get there. No deviation allowed. Either you do this because you want to or you do it because you're told to. 
no deviation allowed. Okay. Um, and that is why I have a house to live in and food to eat because I have a certain set of discipline that won't fail me. Um, and so I say, again, it's, you're talking about why do we have this exodus? Why are people leaving as, as you're perceiving it? I think you can trace it back as, as you're describing it to this idea of trying to avoid the uncomfortable, awkward, traumatic, hurtful, painful, out of control situations that are pretty much what it means to be in public school is all of that to infinity and beyond. <laughs> See, I would have to say, I will have to say the kids I see that have supportive parents mm -hmm. and have people who care about them in the school and they have teachers they've connected with and have some type of plan in public school, mm -hmm. not necessarily as structured as yours was. I've talked yeah. to your parents. I've talked to you. Yours was very structured. Yeah. But more structured, I, I similar to probably what mine was. My mom just wanted the best for me. Mm -hmm. She wanted me to do my best. Uh, if I didn't get an A, but I got a B, that's great. Go for an A. If you got a B, you still got a good grade, right? Um, I think those kids are happy. Yeah. But I think it comes back to the home life. Yeah. But then also the relationships they have with staff. Mm -hmm. And I say that with staff is you and I have been, I've been a teacher for exactly, what day is it? Today's the 9th of September. A month tomorrow. I've been a teacher for a full month tomorrow. Okay. Okay. So I'm experienced, very experienced there, full month. Yeah, how many people um, to quit here in that time? Three. We've had a couple of people just not show up. I don't think anybody's quit yet in our school. Maybe they haven't, I don't know about have it. Have they not shown, have they come back? No, like like one of them was army contract thing. A couple of them, like, I don't even know what happened to them. They were in trainings and never showed up at school start. <laughs> oh, yeah, so that yeah. would be quitting. Yeah. So well, I mean, I don't that know. That would be quitting. You didn't even start. I was, That's still quitting. Okay. You quit. That's still quitting. You didn't even, you didn't even show up for the first day. That's still quit. They don't, I, don't, I don't think they deserve to call what they did no, quitting. No, they probably showed up, saw the school buses, saw kids got off, heard some words they didn't want to hear, and ran away. Let's just say that. The, these guys showed up for like our, our everybody together training days oh. and not for everybody individual day, training days. So before the kids even showed up, they stopped showing up. That's funny. Yeah. You don't need to call yourself a quitter. Oh, so they, no, they quit. They, oh. they like, they saw, heard, they heard how hard it was going to be. In the no, game. to quit, you have to show up to the game and they have to say, play ball. And then you say, I quit. No, they didn't even get that far. Well, they didn't even get in the car to drive to the game. Half the, half, <laughs> half the people who quit football teams and, and sports teams quit during practice. Oh, man. Yeah. Anyways, you were talking about, you've been at it a month. What did you I've learn? What have you learned? Month. I've, I've learned that there are differences between teachers uh -huh. and there's differences between what I call educators like when you walked in i don't know if you saw the poster on my desk it says believe oh ted lasso ted lasso we finished season two last night it's so good yeah so good right it says believe right yeah and every email i send out it says i believe and believe it's a quote by ted lasso and yeah. every email i send out it says that is my 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 signature it's my name and blah blah, blah. yeah i believe i believe and the reason is is because what i realized that it does not matter what I teach them in class. Mm -hmm. It does not matter if I'm the best. I understand the subject I teach the best. I can whatever I do the best. Any of us. Yeah. What matters is, is I have to get them prepared to realize, to believe in themselves and mm -hmm. to be able to do life after high school. Yeah. 
I, I tell my, so I, I'm a biology teacher this year, and I tell him, I say, I could care less if you ever learn any scientific facts at all. What matters to me is that you learn how to make it in this world. Yeah. Do, you have the, the tools it takes to, to be equipped to be successful in life. And the teachers I see that are succeeding are those teachers. Mm -hmm. And the teachers I see that are the ones that are leaving or quitting or giving up are the ones who are staying so structured to the material yeah. that they're losing sight of why they're doing it. Yeah. And I, um, I tell my kids and I don't know how long I'll be a public school teacher because right now being 42 years old, if I teach for the 20 years to retire, I will be 62. And since most men in my family die between 65 and 70, I will die very soon after that. Yeah. Based on medical trends. Mm -hmm. Right. But I also realize that I have to tell them things and tell them, I am here for you. I am here every day for you. I am here for you. Yeah. I am here. Because they, the, the impact of the teachers leaving, we joke about it. Yeah. We joke about, oh yeah, they, they didn't even show up for training, whatever. They joke about it. We have several teachers. Uh, we have several classrooms in our building that are being filled by permanent subs. Yeah. Because there's no adult willing who has the education yeah. to step up and say, let me do that. And and that's, we mentioned before, that is a trauma on these children. It is. It's a huge trauma. Yeah. That's the biggest trauma. And that's what I have to, that's what we have to face as educators. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, to be honest, as Christian educators, is yeah. because part of our faith is believing Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Yeah. That's the, the key factor of our faith. Yeah. But the issue is, is if we don't get these kids believing in even that they can count on somebody teaching them, when we talk about America is one of the most educated places in the world. It's. I think we got to stop saying that. It, will we ever stop saying things like? We're that? not the most educated in the world. I just, I think that's yeah. not. We 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 have a large percentage of functionally literate people. Mm. Functionally literate, yeah. Functionally, but we're not that educated. I'm I'm just saying, that's how we advertise ourselves, yeah. right? We are we're the we're the Great West. We're the we're the country everybody looks for for blah 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 blah. Yeah. We have these. I mean, every time we start saying some stuff, you hear the national anthem or Lean Greenwood start singing behind somebody speaking, right? Yeah. That's the way it works. But the problem is, is we are giving up on our children and we are saying you're not worth it. Mm -hmm. When we quit in the middle of school year, when we give up or whoever. So one of my things is I tell my kids is we are, I'm here for you. You said something. I have a question for you. Okay. So then talk about giving up on the kids. So does that mean then that... When you decided, you, not everybody, when you decided that you guys were going to homeschool, was that you guys giving up on society? Yes. Huh. I mean, I've been an anarchist since high school when I first learned no, anarchy and was. to be honest, so it was. So I, I mean. Uh, well, to be honest with you, our homeschool story is this. Mm -hmm. um, our kids were public schooled. I won't say the schools they went to. Yeah. And our daughter had a hearing impairment and she was written up. She was yelled at. She was screamed at. She failed. She failed second grade math. Yeah. Right. She was failing second grade math and they did the achievement test for the school. And she got the highest math grade in the entire school. Okay. And this was kindergarten through fifth grade. And she was second grade. She had the highest 
score yeah. out of the achievement test in the entire school. And they failed her in math. And we went to talk to the principal, and he says, she did not pass math this year, but we are pushing her through because her achievement score was so high, mm-hmm. she apparently needs it. He says, we are putting her in a gifted class, so hopefully she'll be more talented. The problem is the gifted class was run by the same woman who failed her and did not listen to us with her hearing impairment or anything like that. was really just not a nice teacher. She cared more about the status quo of how students should be Mm -hmm. instead of teaching to the kids' needs. Right. And so we said, all right, we're done. Yeah. We pulled her out and we started homeschooling. And then... That's, that's when we started because oh. we said if the home, the school system we're in is not going to take care of our child, then we are not going to be a part of that. So I'm going to, I'm so saying in this the sense of that we would be giving up on society. I'm going to say this in love. And this is why I don't like to set up where I'm so far away. I can't touch you and hug you as I say this. He has us way far away today, people. I, I can it, see him. But I'm also but, not getting feedback from each other in the microphone. But so I'm going to say this then in love. Um, what if that situation, again, make this theological, what if God brought that situation into being of your child being treated badly by an educator because what he wanted out of you was not to run, but to engage, to confront, so that then the kids who came after your daughter didn't also get abused by her? Well then the problem then is is that I not just only pulled my kid out of society, I also failed God. And that's so, I say that because yes, this is sort of this is the sort of parenting that I do with my kids because so I look you, at my own you, life. Thank you, Kamar, for just telling telling me I, I failed God. I, I, I do that in my own life because I recognize that that quite often he yeah, will bring a conflict into our lives for us to stand up, not to defend ourselves, but to prepare the way for the people coming after us. So let me ask you a question then. And this is what happened. Mm-hmm. After speaking to the school over and over and over again, what would you do in that situation? I if would I would call my mom and say, Mom, what do I do? Because my mom was the parent that when those situations happened, there's a reason why she was like the Southern California gate representative for the state of California, because she said, you don't understand. You're This is not an option. You will so, hear me. You will listen to me. You will move because my kid deserves that. have that mom? That's, and that's where... That's where I understand why people might make that decision. Sure. But I also know that my mom didn't necessarily have that mom. She simply said, this is my kid. Sure. And this is what's right. Well, that's the thing is for us, this was seven or six months of our life fighting, yeah. fighting this. And but it just wasn't, it wasn't a, we pulled her out within a matter yeah. of weeks. It was six months into the school year and it's the same yeah. process over and over again. That's, that's the, and that's the thing talking to you, the principal weekly. You, you talked in a recent episode about this idea of how the what people need is more black love. Oh yeah. They more, well, this is that authentic black Christian experience that sure. says that if we simply shut up and take it or run, then the change never happens. Maybe instead God had us born into a world that treats us this way. Not for us to run, not for us to hide, not for us to seek our comfort, but for us to stand up and say, we demand justice. We demand to be treated as human beings. We demand to have God reign here on earth as in heaven. And that is part of the what I was raised as the black tradition and the black tradition of Christianity. Um, that is the response that because even so I wouldn't be able to have that if I didn't have my mom. Yes. But 
if say my mom, something were to happen to her and she were to be gone tomorrow. Um, I have that embedded in me so that I couldn't, if I couldn't call her up, I would still know what to do Okay, because that is a part of the cultural heritage that I inherited, that I was taught is my heritage Sure, as a black Christian American of we stand on God's word, we stand in God's power and by his spirit, and we stand up for what is right because there are people coming after us who are counting on us to establish what is right. I agree with you 100%, but the issue is for us in the sense of what happened is no matter what we said and who we talked to and how loud of a long argument we made, mm-hmm. the school never backed down. I know. It feels like that sometimes for decades, for generations, yes. for centuries. But the issue is... is But that's why we sing a song. It goes like this. Sing. We will overcome. I don't sing that song. We will overcome someday. I don't sing that song. Oh, well, you should learn it. It's a good, good Christian song. I'm sorry. Deep in my heart, I still believe we will overcome someday. Well, on that note... Thank you guys so much for joining us today. We appreciate you guys so very much as Kamara leads us out. So we want to thank you guys for being listeners of us. We are so blessed and excited you're with us. And keep following us on Facebook. Keep checking us out online. You can even follow us in real life, just not too closely. We don't want to stumble on our brakes and get rear-ended. Yeah, um, I prefer not to be stalked. Thank you guys (laughs) so very much. Thank you again. Have a blessed day. Bye.